Michael Vincent, the dude. Hey, everybody. Good Friday afternoon. Absolutely gorgeous day here in uh, Frayed Alley. What's on your friend, your mind today, my friend? I got a brand new uh, carpet, and uh, I spit coffee across the room yesterday on it, so I'm a little upset about <laughs> Just, that. Was it you challenging your sons or something? No, I saw, I, I, was, I was reading Twitter, as I tend to do with my life, okay. and uh, <laughs> I'm not going to name the outlet that posted this tweet, but tell me how ridiculous this sounds. The shipping container shortage is devastating the ability of ocean carriers to fulfill contract requirements. <laughs> Unbelievable. Just absolutely <laughs> devastating, right? It's devastating, and you, did you know that the driver pay is actually... Uh, inciting runaway inflation as well. <laughs> Guess Wednesday's episode <laughs> for that context. Yeah, they're so devastated. They're rolling all this contract fl- freight and slot positions into the spot market. <laughs> Welcome to freight, people. Well, speaking of that, there are more. So one of the reasons why, I mean, there, there are other issues going on in yes, the supply chain. There one of them is at the ports. There was this great article about how one positive COVID test had delayed all these containers for Dollar General. They were tracking one of those. But even at, at origin, it's a big problem. Then you finally get to destination. Take a look at this map. There's now more than 40 container ships. Take a look at this map. There's now more than 40 <laughs> container ships at anchor in the ports of LA and LB, setting a new record and extending the line 35 miles down. So look at that. Look at that. Newport Beach right there, Michael Vincent. It is. I watched, oh, Captain Jack's restaurant, dude. Oof. Only yeah, getting worse no in peak kidding. season. So peak season for ocean traditionally starts at the beginning of August, right? So we get all this yeah. holiday freight coming in. But all of these steamships were delayed getting here, right? From all these delays at origin. So they're just piling up. You're talking about seven-day wait times that are increasing. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you think we get up to? You got a prediction over under, over under. Okay. 48 container ships at anchor. Oh, over. Over. Yeah. Okay. We've never been there. We've already set the Let's record. Let's call the time. Uh, Iana. Isn't Iana out there in Long Beach uh, here in the uh, beginning of September? Their well, conference, I think. How so high is by the bar? then, 50. It'll hit 50 by then. 50. That's the bar. That's the bar. That's the bar. Okay, we'll see it. On today's episode, we're getting into a lot of stuff, though. We have NASA's David Bush and Michelle LaMea on, and they, they're talking about their mine-resistant ambush-protected vehicles and how the logistics behind launch safety works. And it's a great time to talk about it because we're seeing all these launches. We're seeing companies like SpaceX, Blue Origin, et cetera, get involved in the space race, and it's exciting Time indeed. Bit, uh, yeah. Bit Cadets Dusty Dean, he'll be on with us. He's sharing innovation that U.S. manufacturers are making to be more competitive and to deliver a superior experience for their customers. And uh, Dre Depot's Brian Rice, he's going to outline some of the challenges that shippers are facing in the drayage market, which is yet another link in the supply chain. So manufacturers oh. have problem. Everything's a dumpster fire. Everything, right? Yeah. So here you're talking about Dre. So you spend all that time, right? Waiting seven yeah. plus days to yeah. get your container unloaded. Then you're paying to merge at the port and then you got to get the get it out of the dray, which is a whole series of delays in and of itself. Plus, you know, Ports of Long Beach, we just mentioned that. We're going to be talking about... Um I'm talking about a lot of so warehouse capacity crunch, flaming hot Mountain Dew uh, beverages. So we'll get to it. Let's tip the band. Autonomous trucks are coming with a huge potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. Start re-engineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at Tell Them, dude. Hey, go to locomation.ai for a turnkey solution immediately after this show. Headlines. No. <laughs> Headlines. That's inside the newsletter. Let's headlines. Never mind. We'll just stick with that. All right. 
Stealing your own freight, O'Hare cargo delays. Force. What were you talking about? In unintentional. Uh, this thing needs a new battery. Were you talking about unintentional comedy? I don't. I have no, <laughs> that's why. No, this thing needs a new battery. The Bluetooth's not working. I don't know. My magic your wand. Your casting is just, arm is got. You need some. Wait, uh, it's like the promise of technology, but then it barely ever works properly. You need some mother trucker. Eric. Orbit. Coolish, your reports, and this is a crazy story, and I think you and I should start our own Black Ops Freight Recovery team. Eric oh, Coolish yeah. re reports that desperate logistics service providers in Chicago are resorting to a number of new tactics, including bribery and undercover extraction missions to avoid warehousing congestion that is trapping <laughs> shipments for more than a week at O'Hare International Airport's cargo terminals, according to industry executives. I thought they fixed this by moving everything off-site, but I guess not. Shipment volumes at O'Hare have exploded in the past eight 18 months, as everybody knows, uh, as business turns to air transport for critical shipments and personal protective equipment, replenishments of depleted inventories, everything that you can imagine. Manufacturers, ocean supply chains are disrupted everywhere. So all this is happening. Facilities are short staffed and don't have adequate space to swiftly process this stuff. And that's what's causing this to happen, right? Uh, the COVID devastated lower capacity passenger flights. And, and so now when it gets in there, they can't get the stuff out. Yeah. Freight management companies are saying that these backlogs are so severe that warehouses are now storing rows and rows of containers in parking lots and they can take up to, so we said seven days to get unloaded at the ports, yeah. right? It can take up to 10 days to retrieve a shipment. Delivery trucks are often sitting in line for hours waiting to load. Some getting canceled, having to sent back. You're hearing about all these uh, appointment cancellations and some local carriers are refusing to get freight at certain airlines because of this congestion. This situation is so bad that 1-3PL is essentially orchestrating heists of its own freight. Get this <laughs> quote. This is from a top executive at a uh, 3PL. He says, we will literally bring a truck from our facility with a forklift with like six or seven guys and we'll basically pay our way to find our freight, break it down and use the forklift to load our trailers and get it out. Wild times indeed. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And, and speaking with Eric on FreightWaves now, yesterday he's talking about uh, people buying whole containers now just so they don't have to be opened up and taken apart, right? So they, you get half a container, but to buy the whole thing just so they can get it through there faster. Mazda shuts down plants as cargo flights from Shanghai dry up. Even more worse. Uh, another Eric Coolish story here. Cargo operations continue to deteriorate as Shanghai Podong International Airport after the detection of yet another COVID case as a key terminal operator functions with a skeleton crew and freighter airlines cancel more flights, logistics industry professionals report. Many freight forwarders have stopped accepting bookings for Shanghai and are trying to divert um, flights under their contractual control to other airports, creating even more delays, some of which have their own pandemic restrictions in place, adding these transit times. Yeah, absolutely. Difficulty moving exports out of China's main cargo airport comes as peak sea shipping season for back-to-school and holiday products kicks in. But the ripple effects are widespread. Mazda Motor Corp this week said it has suspended operations at Japanese manufacturing plants in Hiroshima and Hofu until Friday due to the uncertainty about their resumption of air cargo services. So Flexport tried to solve a problem for their customers here, and they did, you're hearing all these charters, right? So Flexport, they're yeah. a freight management company based in San Francisco. You, you may have heard of them. I have. Yep. Planned a, uh, they plan to resume their dedicated charter flight operations by Atlas Air this weekend after securing one of the few remaining ramp slots of the cargo terminal. So they're like, big win. You start telling your customers, hey, we got the charter. We're yeah. good to go. Well, guess what? Thursday night, it got yanked. Last night, after another positive test, it is done. So they don't have that charter anymore. Shanghai International Airport Services, which handles ground operations for major cargo carriers such as Air China, Qatar Airways, and Cathay Pacific, has said now has now isolated its entire staff 
on the freighter side of the airport. The situation is getting worse, man. We are on a razor thin edge in supply chain right now. God, God forbid there'd be like a, a, a hack or something oh right my now, gosh. or even multiple COVID cases across ports. So this is the last thing that we need, but it's the reality that we're facing. Um, and here's the third one. Now, when this freight comes in, where do you put it? As you wait for the trucks to get it well, yeah. you need a warehouse. You may have to wait nine months. Everything's messed up. Brian Strait, warehouse demand is at record levels driven by rising e-commerce demand and related um, one and two day shipping demands, right? The need for new warehouses, it's never been higher. Real estate prices, uh, real estate services from JLL published a survey of over 720 logistics uh, logisticians last month that found 74% predicted 5% annual growth or more in warehouse demand over the next three years and 71% expect demand for e-commerce to grow significantly through 2024. Yes, I think that seems obvious. It does. And Rock Magnum, yes, Rock. Nice Magnan, yeah. president of the he's president of third-party logistics from firm RK Logistics Group, told Modern Shipper that a combination of factors, including labor and steel shortages, are forcing delays in getting warehouses up and running. Uh, Mike Areno, president of Warehouse Engineering Equipment Services, which designs the interior of the warehouses for clients, so not only the exterior building it, but the yeah. interior, including RK Logistics, told Modern Shipper the global steel shortage is hampering efforts to even get the storage racks and the material handling equipment inside. There yeah, well. the steel short. So many things are impacting, and they're all so tethered together, and you're getting really deep into the supply chain. Like, yeah. you know, our, our buddy who is on Molson Hart, who had the, the yeah. good mitten, he can't make more good mitten um, rackets right now because there's a feather shortage. We had Andrew Cox on here was talking about the polyfill for couch shortage. We get the steel shortage. There's so much going on. Um, Areno, who you quoted there, he would note that prices are rising to as much as 2.5 times what they were a year ago. And labor shortages at manufacturing are also contributing to these delays and uncertainty. Um, steel prices have risen more than 60% since the start of this year, surpassing the uh, $1,600 a, a ton. Um, this surpassing $1,600 a ton this summer, according to S&P Global Plats, and trading over $1,900 as recently as Friday. Supply chain goes wrong, everything costs more, and the service gets worse. It's a really tough part about this business. Unbelievable. I'm going to have to delay my uh, bid for uh, Olympic gold in badminton if there's a feather shortage. Yeah. Well, you know what there's not a shortage of? What? Awesome NASA news. No, great NASA. there isn't. Yes, we there have two of them right now. It's David Bush. He's a biomedical engineer at NASA's, and so is Michelle Lemoya. She's an astronaut, rescue team, firefighter, and driver. So I believe David engineers these safety vehicles, okay. and then Michelle trusts in his engineering and has to drive them. Is that correct? Yes. That's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, where are, you, where are you dialing in from right now? Are you over at Kennedy? Oh, we are. I am. How about you, Michelle? I'm at home today. Beautiful. Well, I guess since you engineer, we'll start with you, because we're, we'll, and then we'll get to, to you driving them. But uh, David, tell us a little bit about what these MRAPs are. People may have seen them in, in military applications, but they may not be familiar how they work for NASA. Well, um, we got a military surplus. Uh, when we were looking at um, transitioning from shuttle to the new programs, uh, be they SpaceX or Boeing or NASA's Artemis program, um, we needed a new vehicle uh, to protect our astronauts and crew. So we got some uh, MRAPs, military surplus, and we've outfitted them. Uh, we've stripped off all the old military stuff and opened them up and put lights on them and radios in them so that we can um, customize them for our application. And basically all the, the launch providers, whether it's SpaceX or Boeing or NASA, they use them in a similar manner. We have, if there's an emergency on the pad, uh, they have kind of a zip line that takes the astronauts and crew down from the pad and at the base of the, uh, of the launch pad there at the end of the zip line, 
are these MRAPs and they can use them to evacuate the pad and they drive them to where our medical forces are waiting to, uh, to take care of any injured astronauts if there be any or anything like that. Cool. Awesome. Actually, we have one of these. Uh, we have a video of one of these operations here. Maybe you can oh, walk yeah, us through what we're what we're looking at right here. Okay. This is the this is probably a drill. Okay. These are the astronauts. This is simulating coming off the pad uh, through the sprinkler system. There, you can see the water coming down. Uh, they'll hop in these baskets, and the baskets will take them down to the bottom uh, where the MRAP vehicles would be waiting. They would uh, load any. Um, uh, crew in the MRAPs. There you go. Then you see them walk into the MRAPs. Uh, they crawl in there and then they just uh, shut the doors. And as soon as they shut the doors, they're protected from any uh, blast or explosion. And um, then they drive to a predetermined uh, site where we have medical forces that will meet them and assess uh, any injuries and treat them. And uh, we do medevac if need be with helicopters. Wow. So you, you mentioned you mentioned um, uh, uh, that this was needed for um, for Artemis, et cetera. What was used before for like Apollo? Were they the same type of vehicles you just needed to upgrade them or or is it different now? Well, the the previous the shuttle and I think the Apollo, I wasn't around during Apollo, but the we had M113s. They're um, a previous version of a military armored personnel carrier. They're more like tanks. They were a little more cramped, uh, and they had, rather than a steering wheel, they had uh, levers to control mm -hmm, them, mm -hmm. and you had to look through a, a periscope to, to see out. It was a little more cramped and a little, you know, more difficult to drive. Um, the driving experience with the MRAP is a little more traditional. Well, so, Michelle, it's like, go, go, go. They come down this zip line. It's an emergency. <laughs> you are there behind the wheel, right? You got to go take off. So, what do you do to how, what do you do to prepare? And what's the next step that we didn't that we saw in that video with them driving away? So, the driving away. Once we have our location, once we have our designated place, based on wind direction, that kind of thing. So, there's multiple sites that we can choose. They have that assigned, and we get them there. That's it. It's rescue. So, we get them there as fast as we can, safely as we can, and then the doctors and people in triage will take care of them, sort them out and fly who needs to go away, you know, to the uh, trauma center. But that's the biggest thing. We go up, I drop the crew off at the base of the elevator. They're gonna go up, make the rescue, come down the slide wire basket. Once I drop them off, I have to drive around to where those bunkers are and the slide wire basket comes down and wait there, and then we receive them. So once the crew gets them out and rescues them, puts them in the basket, and they themselves get in the basket, then we all get down. They're, of course, are going to be spent trying to get them out of the capsule or, or the vehicles that we're using. Then the three of us that are left at the bottom, we get them and assist them into the MRAP and then drive away as quick as possible. <laughs> Have they let you guys have they have you both of you been in those that zipline basket before? Yes. Well, it's insane. <laughs> is it fun? What's it like? How fast does that thing go? It seemed a whole lot faster when I was in it. <laughs> yeah. It was great. You check down and you just you go down below the uh the level of the like where it's open. Just get down in case anything flings around on you, but yeah, it slows it down. You wouldn't think it would, but it definitely slows it down quick. 
So what are some of the things that can go wrong? Because I think when people, you know, you have your, you, the image in mind of a, a spaceship and something going wrong, it's usually they, you would picture it in the sky or up in space. What can go wrong at the launch pad level that would require an uh, a, a armored vehicle like this? A leak, a leak of the fuels, because they're fueling it up usually after they're already inside. So they're, the astronauts are inside. Now we start fueling. Sure, if there's some sort of a leak or an anomaly or just about anything, I mean, electronics, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be necessarily something, maybe it's their electronics, something that they don't feel comfortable with. They can self-extricate themselves. But it's when there's a leak and there's a hazard and those chemicals are coming out, that's where that water vapor is coming down and they need to get the heck out of there. We're going to get the word and everyone's going to be on alert and we're going to drive up. We're going to go from that staging area. As soon as we get the word that something's going on, I'll be driving right up to the base of the tower, dropping them off, and then we're getting staged and ready to go. So you're not waiting there during the, during the launch at the bottom where those baskets are, or are you staged right there? We're staged further away. Now, okay. with shuttle, we were closer. Okay. Just different different scenarios. We're back with a convoy of people, so it's uh, a few miles away, actually, probably five or eight, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Probably takes us three or four minutes to get there. It's not that long, but we're far enough away out of the danger zone, and then when we get the call, then we, we come up. So have you have you been through any uh, live like uh, drills? I mean, not not drills, but like a, uh, uh, any close calls, I should say. No close calls, um, but that's what we train for. We train for right. worst case scenario. But no, we haven't had anything uh, on the pad happen like that. But we're definitely you know we're prepared for the worst case. So we train for everything. <laughs> So, David, uh, let me ask you something. So, these, these vehicles are, re are so are you taking these? Are these repurposed from the military? Or are they made specifically for you? And what are you? What is unique to the needs of NASA for this type of this uh, operation versus, say, the battlefield? They they are uh, repurposed. Uh, we did get them surplus, and we've uh, we've customized them a little bit. Um, one of the things that's tricky with uh, these vehicles is they're a little top heavy, so. Uh, especially at night, we don't. We live on a, a wildlife refuge, so and the picture there doesn't have the the light bar on on the front that we've put on there. Uh, we don't want a deer to step out in front while these guys are driving and then swerve uh, and roll a vehicle. So we put lights on them. Um, the inside used to be a lot tighter, and we're more concerned. I see that that platform right there. Uh, we took that out so people could come in from the back and just easily file into their seats uh, and get in from the back. Um, we've taken out all the rifle mounts and we put in um, oxygen bottles or cylinder so that when they get in, if they've been sprayed by hazardous chemicals, they have uh, breathing air so that they can breathe and, and not get the, the, the hazardous uh, fuels in their lungs and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, we've customized it a little bit. So uh, what are the conditions that it can withstand or is needed to withstand for these vehicles? Like how powerful of a how, blast yeah. or how raging of a fire, right? I think you can pretty much handle anything blasted otherwise, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> we can pretty uh, obviously, much the worst case is, is, is the vehicle would explode. Um, yeah. yeah. So they are, we call them bunkers on wheels. In the shuttle, there used to be a concrete bunker there at the bottom. Well, it's still there. 
But yep. um, and they used to shelter in that bunker until they were given the all clear to move out. Uh, but now with the, the with the AMRAPs, uh, they're more explosion resistant. So as soon as they get in there and they close the doors, they're uh, essentially protected from any blast uh, that could occur. So, we, yeah, they're bunkers on wheels, essentially. Wow. Now, Michelle, we saw a picture there of the controls. And if we could put it up again as, as she walks us through it. What are we looking at inside that vehicle behind the steering wheel? Okay, so right up in front there, you can see, well, the stuff to the right of the steering wheel is kind of how you start it. And really, there isn't a whole lot to it. There's a few switches outside, and you have to turn the battery on from the outside. But that's all that's going to be done before I ever get in it. You'll drive it like a regular vehicle, but it's so heavy. And like Dave was saying, it, it's so top-heavy. Um, looking the directly in between two the windshields just below it, you see that inclinometer, that little half circle like a crescent? Yeah. It is so sketchy. When you go and you take a turn, if you're going more than 10 miles an hour, that thing's going off and you're already in the yellow. So you got to take your turn super slow. And that's probably the worst part of it is hitting the turns and just the speed. I don't think I've gone during training. We've gone say 55 miles an hour and then immediately slam on the brakes just to see how quick it stops or not. It's not that super quick because it's so heavy, but honestly, I wouldn't want to drive it more than say 40. It takes up the whole lane. So you really have to just be, be on point as far as that goes. And you've got the whole crew behind you. So you know, one wrong move and you just messed up the whole mission. <laughs> yeah, it's monstrous, Michelle. So what what is the training like? What do you have to go through? What are the certifications to drive this thing? Um, well, we all have the same as far as the firefighter and the uh, the pad rescue training is, is different. We Everyone gets to drive it, at least say that they know how to do it and they've done it in an emergency. But they usually have myself and another lady. Uh, we're both drivers in our uh, career, so they have us usually driving the MRAP because we're used to driving so many other vehicles. Um, but yeah, we just practice. We just practice. We try and get it as often as we can and do turns, serpentine, doesn't really matter. Every time we do training at the pads, we're always trying to back into places because it you need a lot of people to help you, and we need that backup camera, quite honestly. This thing is huge. Um, I, I, I can't help but notice the, um, uh, Michelle, I can't help but notice the, the firefighter em emblem on your thing, too. How do you get involved? How do you end up as a driver uh, as one of these vehicles? This is sort of the kind of job that you, you probably wouldn't know about it unless you knew about it. So how did you know about it and get involved? Well, as far as the fire service in general, I, it was a crazy story. I was actually a fire inspector at or I was a secretary for fire inspectors, and I thought, man, what do they do when they're out in the office or out of the office? So I went through and I went through the training, and to be a fire inspector in the county where I lived, you had to be a firefighter. So, okay, I'll go through the fire academy, and I loved it. So once you become a firefighter and you go through the fire academy, then you're going to apply for other departments, and then they have certain requirements to get in. Uh, so I did all the testing for here. I applied. Um, a lot of times you need to have an EMT or a paramedic, which I now have both. But that's just criteria, minimum criteria for each department. So each department kind of has specific to their needs. So we don't have residential. It's all commercial here. So it's a, it's a little bit different, a lot more hazards. Um, some training was in-house, and then some is just what they require. Now, for driving... 
I've gone through the state for the fire college. Um, I've done, you know, that, that type of thing. I've gotten certs and had to go take a state test. And once you have that certification, then you're eligible for promotion. And then as they have openings, you can apply for those as well. Very interesting. So, David, when we're talking about these vehicles and you upgraded to these MRAPs, are you actively looking for, for new ones and moving forward? Are you interested in automation, uh, uh, automated vehicles, AV, as you as you move forward with the development of this? Well, it's a good question. Um, we really, right now, we're just getting used to these vehicles mm-hmm. um, and looking to um, outfit them. Our, since we transition, they're, they're kind of new to us. Uh, they're old to the military, but to us in this application, they're new. So we're primarily focused on getting used to them, customizing them the way we we need them, and uh, sustaining them, uh, which is is a bit of a challenge given that they're older vehicles and, and military surplus. But um, automation is an interesting question. It's not something that we've considered for this particular application, um, but um, it is an interesting question. Yeah. Something to consider. Yeah, I guess it would make sense for that. Well, I mean, poor Michelle there, too. I mean, she needs to have her, her job driving these things. Michael Vincent, why she'd be, don't give she'd them be, any ideas? She'd, be, she'd, be, she'd have the joystick right there, <laughs> in her, right there in her living room. Don't talk like she's not here, Michael. She's right there. I can see her. Well, <laughs> she can have her joystick right there in the living room, sipping on an ice cold tea and practicing. Oh, well, yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> so well, tell me about this. How do your commercial partners use these things? Pretty much the same way Yeah, we use them. They... They have two stages of the pad, and then they have their fire rescue people ready to come in as well and, and using them. Uh, so, yeah, the same way. Wow. They all, Boeing, um, SpaceX, and Artemis, more or less all the same way. Wow. Unbelievable. So uh, how, how does one like myself get into this job? You have to go through the fire academy first. What's or engineering that? school. Or engineer. Well, all right. Well, let's ask this question, David. How did a biomedical engineer uh, become uh, in charge of the MRAPs there at uh, at uh, NASA? Well, we do in the bio the biomedical engineering at K- Kennedy Space Center is a very eclectic group. We do some research uh, in our labs, uh, human testing on different uh, subjects. We do um, technology development. But one of the roles we have, and probably the primary role, is operational support. Um, to all these crewed launches to keep the astronauts safe. And we have a medical team and engineering team, and we work together. Uh, The engineer, anything associated with uh, custom equipment for crew rescue, uh, it falls to our engineering team. Uh, So whether it be helicopters, you see there, actually that's uh, the the loading system there we had a hand in. That's one of our older helicopters. but we customized that so we could put the patients, two patients in there. Um, so we did that. That's that. We also do some work with the DOD with the, with their helicopters. They have a, a sea rescue aspect to this. If the, if the capsule ends up in the ocean, uh, we have a DOD team uh, and we've helped them with some of their helicopter equipment as well. And so the, the MRAPs are just kind of part of that response. And so eh, that kind of falls under our group to, to do the custom equipment. Well, David, before I let you go, I guess my my last question was: uh, over the summer, we heard a lot about space tourism, right? That got a lot of mm-hmm. that got a lot of ink in the press. So, it, would these kind of safety standards and the MRAPs be used for those applications as well? If you know your regular Joe is trying to fly up into space, my understanding is yes. Uh, that's actually something that we're discussing now um, with the SpaceX missions coming up. They are going to be flying 
uh, tourist missions. And uh, my understanding, they actually borrowed one of our MRAPs for training. So they will be using uh, MRAPs for emergency egress vehicles. And uh, Michelle can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they've contracted uh, with our fire rescue forces to do rescue for their missions. Um, so she will, she and her team will have a role in that as well. Wow. Hey, exciting times, exciting times in the space race over here. Yep. Um, and also, thank you guys, because you're kind of the, you're a bit of the unsung heroes of NASA, right? People don't think about these things and nobody wants to see you because it means something went wrong. So it was good to see you and good to meet you. If people want to learn more about NASA, of course, just look up NASA, go to nasa.gov and Google the MRAPs or just watch this episode. Once again, thank you to NASA for joining us. Folks, have a great time and keep the astronauts safe out there as well as yourselves. Thank, thank you. you. Thank Thanks. you. Take care. Yeah, I find that a lot of a lot of times these support uh, groups like like uh, Michelle and David yeah. are, are incredibly interesting, as interesting as the astronauts themselves going up in the space, right? Sure. Finding those things out. Well, you, I mean, when you're hanging around with NASA people, you just you, yeah, you it just, just rubs off on you. It's yeah, environment, right? It, uh, and they all have such a passion for what they do. Of course they do. Well, with fully furnished state-of-the-art repair <laughs> trucks and a full array of roadside tools, you can expect the safest, fastest, and most painless response for your fleet. <laughs> right. From Love's Truck Air and Speedco, learn more at Tell'em, dude. Hey, go to loves.com immediately after this show. All right, so we talked about the ports that are a mess. We talked about the warehouses. We talked yes. about the airlines. How about we talk about a little Dre with Brian Rice, the CEO over at Dre Depot. Brian, thanks for joining us. Tim Dooner, Michael Vincent. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> What's going as, on? as you're genuflecting over there, let me ask you something. On LinkedIn, you posted the most inspiring human being on God's green earth is Mr. Tim Tebow. Do you think the Jaguars gave him enough chance this training camp in preseason? He was out of there pretty quickly. Yes, he had plenty of time. Um, <laughs> he was gone. He was gone. I don't mean to say that about Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow's a great human being. Like I said, he's one of the best human beings walking this earth. But Tim Tebow's been out of the game. There's a lot of young guys that are uh, waiting in line in the game that I feel that should have an opportunity uh, before Tim Tebow, especially playing a tight end, a, a position that he's not really used to playing. He was a quarterback. So to me, Urban Meyer, he gave him a shot, and uh, I think he needs to move on and just – continue being a great human being. I there like that. Go. He's, um, you know, you're, you're a hard lover. You're like, I, I, you know, I really yeah. respect and appreciate this guy. But the honest truth is that, you know, there's better applications for the, uh, the message, right? And the gospel of uh, Tim Tebow. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brian, introduce yourself. I know you're on Freight Waves now a little earlier in the week, but to the audience here who may not have met you and they don't know what Dre Depot is, who are you and what's Dre Depot? Yeah, absolutely. So Dre Depot is going to be a niche 3PL um, company that we created 300 days ago. Um, and our focus here at Trade Depot is going to be um, warehousing, transloading, intermodal, and drage. Um, so before we started at Dre Depot, we rolled up our sleeves and, and, and got our hands really dirty and created a huge, massive network with 5,000 transloading, drage, warehousing, intermodal providers. Um, and that sets us apart from other companies that are trying to focus on drage. A lot of companies, 3PLs out there, the big guys, they're all focusing on full truckload, the whole spectrum. We're not doing that. We're focusing on drayage, intermodal, and warehousing. Um, so, so that's a little bit about us. Yeah, so uh, Brian, you mentioned when you wrote to us that you guys are exploding. You're one of the fastest growing drayage providers in the country. Can you tell us about that growth? Yeah, absolutely. So 300 days since inception of the start of Dray Depot, we're already touching up over a million dollars of revenue uh, every month. So we've we've literally hit the ground running and, and, and we're exploding. And the reason for that is, is I believe it's from our network. Um, people are really, really uh, gravitating towards our 
iCloud application that we are in the process of developing right now with software engineers. And that's going to be a universal application that is just helping the tracking and tracing of these container in the container market. Um, a lot of people that just don't understand drainage, you know, in depth, you know, they know the, the, the outside skeleton part of it, but um, demerge and storage is really killing these customers, um, shippers and manufacturers around the country. So, um, we have a model here at Drake Depot. Don't let the ports and terminals win. We need to have a model to pull, 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 pull. And that's where our big network comes into play. Um, well, Brian, I was going to say, I think I think a lot of the shippers are getting that education because they're paying the bills and they're seeing the wait times. And some yeah. of these Drake things are crazy. Uh, let's talk about right now what's happening today. What are these wait times in Chicago? Describe the issue to us. What is happening right now if you have to pull a container out of the yard in Chicago? Good luck. Good luck going there. Well, I mean, part of the problem in Chicago is going to be the labor problem, the labor shortage. Oh, he froze up a second there. Is he back? Can you guys hear us? Now yeah, you're yeah, back. Yeah. Here you can hear you. Go labor ahead. shortage. We just, we just lost. Oh, if we can bring him up uh, with just a picture, we should be able that that tends to work, guys. Um, OK, yeah, well, we'll bring him back up. We're getting into the stray issue. It's, it's a really hard time, as, as you mentioned from him. Well, they work out some tech things. I know that we have Dusty Dean here. So let's jump over to Dusty Dean oh, and yeah. we'll have him on right now. And we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in the e-commerce space. And hopefully they can tech out what's, uh, what's up with Brian. So, Dusty, thank you for joining us. We're happy to talk to you. He is the uh, founder and CEO over at BidCadet. Dusty, hi. OK. All uh, right, then. He should be up any minute now, I, I assume. Um, they'll get us up there. I guess he's not. Okay, and, and Brian's not as well. <laughs> well, well, they work some things out. Sorry, there's a. It's a little bit of like a holiday weekend over here, even though it's not Labor Day. So a little, little bit short. Yeah, a little bit of short stuff. Okay, good news, let's bad go, news, everybody. Let's do that. Let's do that. And we'll a little good back. news, bad news, everybody. There we are. Bad news and good news. We'll get through it. We'll get through it, everybody. You're darn right we will. Today. <laughs> it's going to go down All in right, history, what my is going friend. On Give me some bad news or good news All right, or something. How about this one? All right. Let's take a look at this ad. Want to hear the scary part about this? Some insurance companies try to trick you and tell you that your bad wreck damage is worth deadly squad. Even if you're seriously hurt. Bad news. Okay, so <laughs> it reminds me of the movie Used Cars. Remember that movie? We yeah. <laughs> well, here's the bad news. According to CD Life, a, per a personal injury lawyer from Texas, that gentleman there, famous for his wild TV ads featuring himself <laughs> wielding a hammer against big rigs, has sued another lawyer from Alabama for copying his commercials. Attorney Jim Adler says, also wow. known by his trademark as the Texas Hammer, he's uh, filed a suit against Mike Slocum, who goes by the moniker the Alabama Hammer. And he says he's uh, infringing on his copyrights, he's infringing on his trademarks, and it's unfair competition according to al.com the suit seeks damages that would require slocum to cease running his tv ads wow. slocum he's completely denied these allegations adler says that he spent more than 100 million dollars on advertising since 2000 claiming to run 45,000 to 85,000 commercials per year that's a lot of commercials in texas markets in order to establish that persona and his branding and his reputation is there good news here? Yeah, there's lawyers involved, so one of them's probably going to lose. One of them's going to lose, and we got lawyers spending money on lawyers to yes. sue each other, which is beautiful. What do you got? <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, let's go on here. The gas, so there's a gas station in Mansville, the Mansville Travel Center in Charlotte, okay, during the, uh, the, the shutdown of the pipeline there, uh, was charging $9.99 .99 a gallon during, the, during that heck. $9.99. What are you, a rodent? An alien? $9.99? Well, it is. That's not <laughs> inaccurate. Is that inaccurate? Who says it that it's way? It's $9.99. $9.99. 9 
All right. I'm going to go to a poll. (laughs) But anyways, R. Kelly, not that R. Kelly, Kelly. R.J. Kelly said that he was searching for a gas station when he turned into the Queens market and saw the sign listed and listing the cost per gallon as $9.99. I was like, there's no way I'm paying $9.99 for this gas. He didn't say that, but he said, I'm not paying this much for this gas. That's like three tanks of gas for my car. He's not paying it. Yeah. The good news is. Now they're being they're being sued there. So uh, Attorney General Josh Stein has used the gas station for is suing the gas station for price gouging. Don't do that type of stuff when yeah. there's an emergency. It's just not cool, man. Yeah. And he never did pay that money. It was I mean, almost one zero dot zero zero dollars for a gallon. It of was gas. almost one zero dot zero zero. I mean, it's it was point zero zero one away from one zero point zero zero dollars. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Good news during lockdowns. Cows found a home on the Mare a Sol beach in Cote Chavare on the French island of Corsic. Right, according to Forbes, Corsica has roughly fifteen thousand cows that roam the island. About half are wild, and the other half belong to farmers who have grazing rights across the island. Bad news during lockdowns. The uh, there was a uh, we need a bovine intervention here as the cattle refused to move. Do need a bovine the, intervention. The cow, the cows, the, they do, where's Tim Tebow? The cows don't. The cows won't go home and they won't relinquish this beach, which is causing some problems for the tourist industry. I mean, you can imagine all the cow poop and all that stuff, right? Yeah, but, who's cleaning that beach, man? But how dangerous can some cows be? Well, mm-hmm. um, this didn't happen recently, but in 2017, as reported by the local, a female tourist was trying to take some Instagram. She she was doing it for the gram. She was trying to snap okay. some pictures right. with these cows, and one of them gored her in the face. She ends up in the hospital with a smashed face. Uh, beaches in the south near Ajeco, they had they had to be closed recently because a herd of these cattle was damaging cars and rampaging through picnics. So there's one five zero 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 point zero zero cows <laughs> yes. on this island roaming free. Is that what you're trying to That's tell what me? I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> I love it. So here's one, and this one's all based on your perspective of, of who you are. So this is good news, bad news from a perspective angle. The Great Resignation is likely to continue, my friend, obviously. And fifty five percent of the people in the workforce surveyed that said they currently work or are actively looking for employment are likely to look for a new job in the next twelve months. So fifty five percent of the people are gonna look for a new job in the next twelve months, right? What's interesting here, interesting here is that it doesn't really demand on their, on their, or have anything to do with their pay scale, right, mm-hmm. or their tier in the company. If there were ever a time for someone to be in a position to make a reasonable request for their employers, this would be the time, said Mark Hamrick, senior economic analyst at Bankrate. On the other side of the coin, he said, it's becoming increasingly important for employers to do what they can to not only attract new workers, but to retain new ones. So if you're an employee, it's yeah. a great time to go find another job. Or, if you're an employer, yeah. not so good news. Well, if you're an employer, what do you do if one of a, a key valued employee comes up and says, you know what? I'm looking at this market. There's opportunity. Where's, uh, you know, where's my ducats? Yeah, exactly. It's there a is. difficult time, man. All it's right. It's a difficult time. You got to keep, keep people happy. Keep that in mind if you're in charge of the pocketbook. Uh, bad news. Rides closed. Check a look at this, this picture here. Rides closed. WIBW reports. A semi- Take a look at these rides here. <laughs> WIBW reports a semi-hauling carnival rides catches fire on US-75 north of Topeka, Kansas, Highway Patrolman. Uh, Adam Simone, he said the driver apparently fell asleep at the wheel and it causes this big old fire. He goes, he drifted off the roadway and struck the guardrail here behind me uh, and basically rode the guardrail to where it was and then it caught on fire. Look at those tilt-a-whirls, man. Those are out of service. You're not going to be able to take those things around. Yeah, burn well, them the- all. Burn all the tilt-a-whirls. But that, really, that looks like a terrible scene, right? But the good news yes. is that Actually, nobody was injured. The truck driver himself, he woke up after the crash, and he was able to get himself and pull himself out of the fire. Good news. You know what? Yeah. He was probably drinking the next story here. There's good news for him. Mountain Dew, man, starting at 831. They're going to have Mountain Dew has created the first ever beverage combining sweet citrus flavor of Dew and the spicy kicked up flavor of fl- 
flaming hot, my friend. That's Ooh. the good news. Can't you wait to b- burning hot Mountain Dew, my friend? That'll I, keep you awake at the wheel when you're driving those carnival rides down the road. Now, are there many like non-alcoholic um, spicy beverages that you consume? I don't consume any of them, no. I, don't, I can't think of any. Yeah, I wouldn't Can, think of do, any. Do you, I mean, that seems like I, a weird flavor profile. And the bad news or the good news is it's limited time only, right? Yeah. So, I mean, depending on your perspective, I don't know if that's well, good I'm news or bad news. I'm throwing this question back at Brian because he's, uh, he's back in the pool. So, Brian, okay. throw Brian back up here. Brian, what chip flavor should be turned into a soda? Oh, that's a great question. Ooh, good question, Donor. Good question. Um... I'm going with I'm Funyuns. A cool ranch, I'm a cool ranch Dorito. I was about to say Funyun, actually, Tim. <laughs> All right, good. Funyun's not bad. I, I'm gonna go, uh, uh, yeah, that's not a bad. A man for my own heart with that one. So uh, you were talking about the labor shortage at Dre. So let's pick up there. Some of the issues with Dre is, is there's a big... Yeah, so I'll touch on it really fast. Yeah, I'll touch on it fast. So I wanted to go over the Chicago rail, and I want to do a little bullet points. There's, a, there's obviously a lingering problem in Chicago, and it's exasperated by the holiday season starting to ramp up. So we have labor shortages, equipment shortages... Um, The rail congestion is so bad that people at the Port of Origin are using dry vans to transload um, to get the final mile instead of using the rail. And it's more expensive, but these people are getting their products. So that's more important than obviously the rate right now. Um, The rail congestion was so bad that Union Pacific, they suspended um, eastbound service and westbound West Coast to intermodal facilities in the Chicago. Like we're not taking any boxes in here. So. What they're trying to do is I know that Norfolk Southern has has an incentivized $200 box container exchange to try to get these people to get two legs going on these container moves. Because what's happening is they're still reporting that 80 percent of the gate moves at these two terminals, they're single transactions. What's not what's not helping the life cycle of the box. Okay, so we we need to get that done to make sure it's more efficient um, in the supply chain. I know that the the continual investment that some of these rail yards are putting in is is working. So Canadian National Rail Yard and Harvey, the Harvey Rail, these people have put in infrastructure projects as far as lifts, more labor people, um, and and they're they're prospering from it. People are using them. They've they've quickly shot up the totem pole as far as one of the top uh, rails to use in Chicago. um, the infrastructure is important. No one's listening. Um, I think that there, there, there's, I mean, we could talk about collusion. You could talk about this and that. I mean, who wouldn't be happy making all this money with with uh, with containers sitting in, in, in storage, $300 a day? So that's why it's really important at Dre Depot that we fight for our customers, our manufacturers, even the steamship lines, and we get these containers pulled, 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 and put in storage facilities inland. You're absolutely right. And you got people in the port of L.A., Gene Soroka, bringing up the signal and stuff like that to get these signal single transaction in and out, uh, getting rid of those. But you said that you have uh, started a thirty six million dollar development in the southeast involving cold storage transloading assets that's coming in twenty twenty two. Can you give us a status update on that? What's that all about? Yeah, for sure. So we're going into three different cities. We'll be in the Leatherman Port, Wando Port. We're also going to be in Dillon and Florence Inland inter- Intermodal Rail. Um, so we plan on doing this. It's already in development. I was, I, I've been down there multiple times. Um, and uh, we have three cold storage facilities, the smallest being 250,000 square feet. 
feet, and we plan on opening one close to the, uh, the Leatherman Wando port, and then we're going to go inland to um, to help out with some of the reefer containers that are coming in. Uh, Lineage Logistics owns 38% of the market, probably more when it comes to reefer and warehousing down in the southeast. We plan on giving them a little bit of competition. I don't want to call it competition. We plan on actually giving them a, some assistance because they can't handle all of the EDI overflow that they have coming in right now. Gotcha. So it's a necessity. I've been down there. I met with the CEO of the ports. I've been to most ports and terminals in the country. I plan on to continue to go down and get boots on the ground. That's where we found a lot of our small ma shops um, as far as carriers and stuff like that goes. They're, they're not visible um, as far as like going on a CRM on Google and to try to find these people. They're just not on there. So, Brian, what advice do you have for ship and carrier, shippers and carriers today who are dealing with this dray market? How do they get through this very difficult season and time? Yeah, I would say to stay stay away from the 800-pound elephant in the rooms, and that's going to be um, Home Depots, Walmarts, Targets, Ashley Furniture, you name it, uh, from Germany, China, uh, Mexico, all the places that these, these, these boxes are coming from overseas in the ocean freight. Um, they're all coming, a lot of them are coming in bottlenecking into Long Beach. If I were to give advice for somebody moving boxes and you're a smaller player in the industry, um, a tier two, tier three uh, manufacturer moving boxes, stay away from Long Beach. Those yeah. guys own Long Beach. They call the shots at Long Beach. Reroute, reroute, try to do some air. Um, I would say Tacoma, Seattle is a good place to go. If you're coming on the East Coast, I know Maryland, Baltimore, we have partners reaching out to us daily saying that they have 10, 15 trucks of capacity. So just think outside the box. Don't do what everybody else is doing. That's my yeah. that's my advice or something. Well, then let me ask you, that you were sense. talking uh, on Freightways Now, you were talking to Michael Vincent over here about Jimmy Hoffa. You had mentioned him, so I got to know, do you know where Hoffa's buried? <laughs> I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. Is he in the, the end zone in Detroit? The mafia, the mafia, the mafia might be watching, yeah. Timmy. We don't know. Is he, no, is he in the end zone in Detroit? You know, I thought he was. Born. You might want those Nas X shoes, not the uh, not the not the cement. <laughs> we got, hey, we give him a uh, give him a little spin. We got to go to the wheel, wheel of stupid. stupid we're going to the wheel of stupid, Brian. What do we got for him? Oh, this is perfect. This right, is perfect. This? this is perfect. You're a Chicago man. Does ketchup belong on a hot dog? Absolutely not. Absolutely. Not. Yeah. Easy. Absolutely. That's an easy. One. You know what? I'll, I'll give you a quick story. When I was growing up. There's a there's a place in Chicago. It's pretty famous. Johnny's Beef. And if you ever oh, come yeah. to Chicago, yeah, yeah. So go to Johnny's Beef. My grandpa and my dad brought me in there when I was like seven or eight years old, and I asked for ketchup. And the guy was like, "I'm pretty sure he threw me out as a seven year old." <laughs> Just shamed. <laughs> I mean, shamed. That's how these guys operate. Like. Yeah, I was in Foxborough Stadium with an inflatable helmet on once when I was seven years old, and someone chucked a hot dog off the inflatable helmet. I was seven. People don't care. People are jerks. <laughs> Brian, how do people reach out to you and learn more? Yeah, so B Rice at Dre Depot. Dot com. Hit me up if you're uh, if you're in the market for moving boxes, or if you're in the market to help us out with this iCloud iCloud application that we are in development with. We we look for every, anyone's okay. ideas to come out and help us with it. Very cool. Excellent. Thank Thanks, you very Brian. much. Have a great weekend. All right. Now, Dusty Dean is here, and we are. He's the founder and CEO yes. at Bid Cadet, and we're going to find out about manufacturing and e-commerce. Also, a really tough place to operate in, but he helps. You do that, right, Dusty? Hey, it's great to be here, guys. You know, right off the bat, I want to do quick, two quick hat tips. Uh, and I've got a nice little Oregon hat here for it. One, I'd like to do a hat tip to uh, Dooner and the Dude for making complex topics a heck of a lot of fun. I've learned a lot by watching you guys. And so hat tip wow. to you for that. And here's another one that's kind of a wild card for you, but it's relevant to me. Hat tip to Chattanooga, Tennessee. 
uh, and to the Freightways team there. You know, I got family in Chattanooga and I actually grew up in Tennessee. And there's a lot of really, really smart, talented people in that community, manufacturing, logistics, mines. And for the Freightways team to, to choose Chattanooga as the place to be the headquarters, I think that needs a little bit of attention. So uh, thanks, Excellent. guys. Hey, thanks Matt, for that. thanks well, for that, we'll Dusty. We'll now pander to ourselves, ourselves a little as well. Thank you, Dusty. <laughs> yeah, not quite tipping the band, but, you know, this one's free. So <laughs> there you go. All right, so Love tell, it, Dusty. What, what's Thank Bid Cadet, though? Give us, like, the little elevator pitch on, on Bid Cadet. Sure, sure. Yeah, so I, I'm the CEO of Bid Cadet, and we're a technology and consulting company that creates these fast-growing digital sales channels for manufacturers. We are effectively the e-commerce department for manufacturers, building the tech stack, getting the traffic to their to their store, and converting their customers. Uh, you know, our work allows manufacturers to really focus on what they do best, which is shipping a high-quality product out to their customers. And just a little bit of quick history about me: I grew up in a small community that depended upon manufacturing. Everyone in my community, including my family, had a manufacturing job. The local aluminum plants logo was all over our little league and T-ball uniforms. I'm sure a lot of our viewers out there can, can relate to that. So, so it's in my veins, but, but I actually learned software development to escape the manufacturing fate, to, like, to be different than, than what my family was doing and what everybody in that small community did. But, you know, fate intervened and I got the opportunity to work with a visionary founder, uh, actually in Memphis, Tennessee, who wanted to sell pre-engineered buildings, carports, garages and barns in a do-it-yourself yeah. kit, shipping it on a 40-inch by 88-inch pallet, residential through an e-commerce model. We had a tremendous amount of success with that company called Versitude Building Systems. Uh, actually got to be president of that company for a couple of years. And uh, that's where I kind of got the baptism by fire introduction. Uh, to manufacturing. So I kind of have that software world side, and then I have the real world baptism by fire manufacturing experience. And nowadays, I, I work with several manufacturers, helping them navigate, you know, what it means to sell direct to consumer as a manufacturer using e-commerce. So Michael Vincent, you know, if there's this thing called, Mattel has their creator thing. Yeah. It's almost like Kickstarter for toys. Hasbro and Mattel are doing the same thing. I actually just bought something from Hasbro's. They want like I think they need like 5,000 backers, but it ensures what you're buying is limited edition. And they have this Nerf gun. It's an alien Nerf gun. Aliens, oh, yeah, yeah, It's yeah, from yeah, aliens. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like $100, right? Yeah. But it's one of those things, you, they're, again, they're only making 5,000, so you, you know that if one. you buy it, if you want to flip it on eBay, it'd be, they have like a Star Wars um, the uh, sale barge on there that was something oh. like 500 at the time. I thought that seemed like a lot. Two years later, I looked on eBay. It's 2,500 bucks. Oof. But you did this great post about Mattel, Dusty, and you were talking about how they are engaging um, consumers, direct to consumers, especially in a world where they're losing shrink self-space because of the loss of Toys R Us and others. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me just start by, by sharing this pre-pandemic Forrester research statistic that really, you know, this is pre-pandemic, so we're in a different world today, but I, even pre-pandemic, this is interesting. And it said over 40% of buyers want to buy directly from the manufacturer. And in many cases, they're willing to pay up to 20% more to do so. And I think this is interesting for a lot of reasons. You know, there's the counterfeit problem that people find in third-party marketplaces. Mm -hmm. There's just the issue. You don't know who you're buying for, especially if it's Mattel and it's a kid's product. You know, you, you know, what are your kids? They're going to be putting it in their mouth. You know, you want to know who's the sourcing from. But just another kind of example of that. You know, I live in Oregon. We have this historic wildfire season here. I'm prepping with all my air filters in my home. So I go around and I pull them out and I look at them to say, OK, well, you know, I obviously want to buy this from the manufacturer. You know, this is the manufacturer's machine. I go to their website. I look up that specific model, I type it in, and then it says, you can only buy this on Amazon. Yeah. I'm like, what? 
wait a minute, hang on. Like I'm already one of your customers. You didn't have to pay to get me to your site. So you're going to go ahead and give up this margin for Amazon. Uh, that's not exactly a smart way of doing it. But the great thing is, is that it's changing. Like that model was really more of the 2010s model. You know, last time I looked at my calendar, it's the 2020s and it's crazy after the pandemic. So much has changed. But you see firms like Mattel that are saying, you know what, we're going to be a, a new school manufacturer, not an old school manufacturer. We're going to go direct to consumer with these products because that's what our customers are asking for. We have a lot more flexibility here, particularly in this global supply chain crunch that we have right now. They can change their pricing, their inventory levels on their own website in real time. They don't have to ask for permission. They don't have to call up a buyer and say, can I please do this? They can just do it instantly. And I think that's really fascinating. And there's more companies besides Mattel, Goodyear, Goodyear. You can go to Goodyear.com today and buy tires directly on their website. And get this, they will come to your home with something called the mobile tire installation unit and install it right outside your window. I can look out my window and see them installing uh, the tires on my car. Goodyear did not even have an e-commerce website, an e-commerce present until 2016. And so this story of kind of traditional manufacturers going direct to consumer with e-commerce is a new story. I don't think it's being covered enough because Amazon and Shopify and, and, and the big guys, the retailers, they just suck all the oxygen out of the room. And I think it's really exciting what's happening right now. They really do. You're, you're right. They do suck all the oxygen out of, out of the room. We've talked to plenty of people where they'd be motivated for uh, other reasons than what you even just said to kind of have a different channel or an omni-channel right type of approach to this. You'd mentioned Mattel and you mentioned uh, 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 Goodrich or uh, who was it? Goodyear. The tire company. The tire Goodyear. company. But these are Goodyear. These are large, large companies. How do the smallest, what's the strategy for the smaller people who don't even get found unless they go to Amazon looking for a specific product and see Tim Dooner makes, you know, Mouse for cowbells. Real. Yeah, cowbells. Yeah, I know. I think a great example is what I mentioned earlier with uh, the the firm that uh, you know I, I I served with the board today. I was former president of it. Versitude Building Systems. They make do-it-yourself carport garages, barn kits. You go to versitude.com. You design it, or buy from a a group of standard kits. It ships to your home on a pallet. Uh, the product is such a fascinating product because it empowers people to build it themselves, the do-it-yourself model. You don't have to have any engineering experience. So what do we do with that product? We just went direct to the consumer with it. You know, we went we, with digital advertisements with YouTube and Facebook and everything else. And we said, here we are. Check us out. And of course, when you're dealing with structures like that, bigger structures with a lot of, you know, some industrial manufacturers have, you know, you're, 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 the way you sell it online is... is is really the only way you can do it. You don't have a traditional retail presence, so you can create these fantastic product configurators and custom experiences online that are truly unique and, and get people excited. So you know, go out there and show people your value proposition. Use the tools that we have today that the big guys have, the, the Google ads and the YouTube and, and Facebook, and, and get in front of them and send them to a high-quality experience a place that doesn't insult their intelligence, a place that says, hey, you know what? We know you know what you need. Uh, here's all the great specs. Here's a, a, a 3D model of the product. Uh, you know, Here's some support right here uh, with a chat to help you get exactly what you need. In fact, just have a superior experience than you can get from a Home Depot uh, or, or a Lowe's or even Amazon.com. I mean, they're trying to fit, you know, hundreds of thousands of SKUs in this traditional buying experience, you know, where you can change the color, 
the size and maybe yeah. add an extended warranty. If you're selling an industrial piece of equipment where you need to change the controller, the hydraulics and other parts of the system, they're not going to work for you. So who's going to work for you? The manufacturer. Nobody knows the product better than the manufacturer. And it doesn't matter if it's Goodyear and its tires or it's Mattel. Another story, Stanley Black & Decker, they're having a lot of success overseas going direct to consumer e-commerce and markets where they're tr traditionally under-indexed. Uh, you know, who knows? They may be doing that in the U.S. before long. For the big companies, like Mattel's got a very strong brand and, and, they, and they attract a collector market. So they can do something like the creators. The Hasbro's can do the creators. But what about newer companies that are that are popping up just trying to find their footing, especially the ones that have only been in operations for a year or two? They don't have war chests and they're paying a much higher landed cost than they ever thought that they would. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a great question. You know, at the end of the day, you have to know who your customers are. And you know who your customers are and you find whatever ignites them. And you can go out and find a community of folks that will, 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 will be into that particular product. You can go to YouTube and find some great personalities out there who really align with their viewers, uh, with your product, and, and start talking to them. And, and you know, it, with a very small budget, you can start that little seed audience to get that traffic directly to your site. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to make some investments. You're going to have to make investments in a in a great store and a great digital experience. And and that's what we do with our our clients. You know, we work with them really on a monthly basis, you know, and it's performance based uh, because manufacturers, they just don't, you know, they put a lot of effort and energy into the factory floor that I always joke the TRX 9000 laser cutter will blow your mind. But mm. when you go to the admin side and the sell side, they typically lag 10 to 15 years behind. And that's where we kind of come in and, and really help them out. You know, we come in and we say, you know, we, we know that there's a lot of upfront costs here. So let's work with you on that and make these costs as small as possible. Earn our way forward uh, with the growth and, and with the sales. And, and from there, you really start to kindle this gigantic fire. Yeah. Uh, Dusty, before we let you go, because we're just about out of time, um, I got to ask you, what's the worst thing you've ever bought online? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I think like many people, you, you start to think you're going to save some money and you're going to find something from Alibaba that uh, that's just like the original. <laughs> Wish. And, and, then, and, and then here's the worst part. You open it up and it's not even what you ordered. You've been scammed. Right. So oh, yeah. I guess I could say an empty, an empty box from some of these third-party retailers. <laughs> oh, bought wow. an empty box. Empty yeah, box. There, there well, I hope your good. box of knowledge isn't empty after this interview. And you listeners as well, go over and check out BitCadet. Great stuff. Find Dusty Dean on LinkedIn. Dusty, have a great weekend, and thank you for joining us today and, and sharing with our audience. Take care. Thanks, guys. Michael Vincent, yeah. get this right here, okay? So okay. right before we go off air, I'll tell you about this one. L.A. Okay. Opera gets, this is in Los Angeles Times, L.A. Opera gets stuck at the port, so crews have to build a brand new one in just 10 days. So the L.A. Opera, the equipment to build the stage, is sitting out there on anchor with all of those ships we showed you at the beginning. They can't get this thing erected for <laughs> this September opened. I mean, who knows what will happen with, with COVID anyway, right? Shutting everything down, but who knows? But... They're just through real world things. Everybody's impacted, even the opera. So the fat lady has sung, what the truck is getting out of here. Tell them how to be this weekend. Hey, peace and love. Spread it everywhere, my friends.